to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to the eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. have your Bibles this morning if you want to open there to Revelation chapter 2. Thank you Jason and Mike for reading our scripture this morning. We're going to dive in today to the first of seven letters to seven different churches in what was known in the Apostle John's day as the region of Asia Minor. Now today if you want to think present day that's The country of Turkey on the map today is where most of these churches were located, especially the one we'll look at today, uh, the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the primary city in in the region of Asia Minor, in this portion of the Roman Empire. It was a free city. There was no Roman garrison there, and and in that city, they were known for a few particular things that, that help us to understand why John might have written as he did to them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When people thought of Ephesus, the first thing that they thought of was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there in Ephesus. It was the temple to Artemis. In Acts chapter 19, when, when Paul goes in to the city of Ephesus, and he begins to preach the gospel, and people begin to get saved, and they begin to turn away from idolatry, what most of them were turning away from was the worship of Artemis, or otherwise known as Diana. They were turning away from the worship of this false god and turning to the one true and living God, and that got some people that were making some profit off of the idolatry pretty upset. And the riot erupted in Ephesus, and they began to shout, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and it says, the Bible says, for over an hour, this crowd was riotously shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, because that was what Ephesus was known for, the worship of Artemis. And when the gospel came, when the apostle Paul helped this young church to begin to blossom, and he spent three years of his ministry there in the city of Ephesus, he devoted much time to them. When the church began to grow there in Ephesus, great things began to happen in that city. Ephesus was the very center of all of of the life there in Asia Minor. It wasn't the capital city per se, but it was where all the great things happened. It was a city, if you want to think comparatively, it was about the size of the city of Lexington, Kentucky, where a lot of other great things happened. All the Louisville fans are going, boo. (laughs) Anyway, what's going on from there? But we see this city. 
This church has now been in existence. By the time John writes here in about 95 AD, 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 I'll get those words here right in a minute, this church had already been in existence for about four decades. Much had happened. Great leaders had come and gone. The Apostle Paul had ministered for three years in Ephesus. His, the one he had mentored, this young pastor named Timothy, became the pastor at Ephesus and had a great ministry there. Even the Apostle John, who writes these letters to these churches, spent a good deal of his later years in the city of Ephesus ministering. So this church had known great leaders, but they had a very intense problem. For this was the church that had lost its heart. Let us hear this morning what the Spirit has to say to the churches and ours in particular. As we read these letters, and I'll come back to this in the coming weeks as we walk through these seven letters to the churches, as we read these letters, we need to keep in mind the interpretive key of this book of Revelation. I told you I'm going to keep coming back to this. Hopefully by the end of this study, we'll all know that Revelation is about more than just end-time events. It's not about helping us to figure out how the tribulation fits with the rapture, fits with the millennium. It's not really about those things at its very core. At its very core, Revelation is about the first five words of this book. It's the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Y'all have gotten that part. That's good. And let's keep coming back to that because he is the key to understanding this book. You will not understand anything in this book if you don't understand that ultimately he is the source and the center of everything we find here. And he is the one who writes these letters to these churches. John, his servant, merely pinned them down and sent them out. And so to the church at Ephesus, we must read these letters in light of the author and his authority as revealed in chapter 1. Let me just say this before we move on. Don't lose sight of Jesus. If you're somebody who likes to highlight or underline in your Bible, I would encourage you, every time you see Jesus, underline, highlight. I'm not talking about the name Jesus. I'm saying he's all over this book. You'll find him in every one of these letters. He's the one who writes this letter, and he describes himself there in verse 1. He says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now we might read that out of context and go, who in the world is he talking about? Go back to chapter 1. Who is that? It's the risen Lord Jesus. In full glory, John sees him as the one who's walking among the lampstands. The lampstands represent the churches. And church, let us be reminded this morning, let us be reminded that our risen Savior is alive in the world today and he is walking in the midst of his church. He knows us intimately. He is not a God far removed from us, but he dwells among his people. That'll change the way you worship change the way you pray, and hopefully change the way you listen to this sermon this morning. Point number one this morning, he commends them for their resolve. As he writes to this church, he commends them for their resolve. Look at verses two and three. Two times there he says, I see your endurance. I know your works that you are enduring, and they were enduring not only showing endurance in their works, but they were showing endurance in the midst of great suffering. I described to you last week the, the suffering that was occurring at this point in history 
as the emperor, the Roman emperor Domitian was in power. And the persecution that began under Nero about 30 years prior to this had expanded to the entire Roman Empire. And now Christianity was not okay anymore. And the followers of Jesus that were then known as the way, they were persecuted. They were imprisoned. They were fed to the lions. They were covered in tar and set on fire. They were crucified. They were shot through with flaming arrows all in the name of Jesus Christ. They were persecuted horribly. And John writes here and he commends this church. The Lord Jesus says of this church, I know your works. I see how hard you've been working in my name. Corinth Baptist Church, I think that's a word for us this morning. As your pastor, I can just say there are so many folks that work so hard around here. Last night there were people here, I don't know how long after I left, but there were people here till 9.30, 10. I don't know what time these guys finally left out of here preparing things for worship this morning. There are a lot of hard workers in this church. And the same thing was true at Ephesus. He says, I know your works. I see you're going out there with the gospel and you're helping the needy and you're reaching the lost and you're worshiping me. You continue to gather in my name on Sunday even though it's illegal. I see your works. I know that you're enduring in the midst of great persecution. And he says, I also, I see how you've rejected false teachers. False teaching was rampant by this time. Already Christianity still fairly new in the history of the world. There was false teaching rampant. The Gnostics were on the march in that day teaching that you had to have this special knowledge to enter into the kingdom of God. These ones that he describes in verse 6, the Nicolaitans who were following a guy named Nicholas who was teaching that it's okay if you dabble a little bit in this idolatry and in the sexual immorality that goes along with it. As long as you continue to profess Christ with your mouth, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. That's what Nicholas was teaching, and he was dead wrong. And the Ephesian church had rejected those kinds of teachings. They were staying true to the gospel, staying true to the word of God. And he says, good job, church. You've rejected these false teachers. You're working hard, and you're bearing up under suffering. You're bearing up under suffering. I see how difficult it is for you, and I commend you that you've not quit, but you've kept going. And so he commends them for their resolve. But then in verse 4 comes the reprimand. In all of these seven letters but two, there is a reprimand for the church saying, here is an area where you need not just to improve, but you need to repent. The word repent is all over these letters. And the reprimand comes in this way. He says, you've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love. You have left the love that you had at first. Your love for Christ has grown cold. The truth for us this morning, church, is this. It is possible to work faithfully and still fail miserably. And folks, I think we need to hear this word today. I think our church needs to hear this word. This pastor needed to hear this word this week because there are times when I pride myself on working hard, putting in the late hours, going the extra mile. And that's the kind of church this is. But the temptation is that in the midst of working for Christ, we somehow work ourselves away from Christ. How many of you have experienced that in your life before? Yeah, 
I know that I have. Times of, of burnout, and, you, and, you, and it's so imperceptible the way that it happens. It seems like you're on fire for the Lord one day, and then before too long you realize, somehow I've drifted from Him, but, I, but I'm still working for Him. I, I'm still teaching my Sunday school class. I'm still serving in the children's ministry. I'm still, still doing these things for God. I'm still on the platform on Sunday morning, but somehow the love in my heart for Him has grown cold. I don't love Him like I once did. And that's the folks that John is writing here to, that Jesus is responding to saying, you need to return to your first love. So how do you do that? If your love for Christ has grown cold, how do you return to that first love that you have abandoned? He gives us the formula. I love how he doesn't leave us wondering. This is so practical. Some people see Revelation as a book that's just way out there somewhere. What do we do with all that stuff? This book is immensely practical. The first word you need to know in how you return to your first love is it's all about repentance. That's the third point on your outline this morning. It's all about repentance. It's about realizing that you have an intense problem, that a lack of love for Christ is a real problem. No matter how hard you're working, no matter how much you're enduring, if your love for Christ has grown cold, it is an intense problem problem that needs to be resolved and it comes from repentance and he gives a specific three-step approach to this repentance helping us to understand what does this repentance look like look at verse five there how do we repent three steps and these are three steps to a renewed passion if you have found yourself in a place this morning where you don't love christ like you once did your love for him has grown cold. On a side note, if you find that self, yourself in that place in your marriage, this will work too. These, this same prescription for how to be renewed in your love and passion works in every relationship because the God who is love gives these directions. He knows how it works. And so how do we become renewed in our passion for him how do we get back to our first love first of all we have to remember we need to be reminded because the easiest way to get away from your first love is to forget and forgetfulness doesn't just happen it happens gradually we just slowly move away we slowly forget and then after a while we've forgotten altogether while we were even doing these things in the first place that's where the ephesian church was they had forgotten and in the words of the great theologians, Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood, <laughs> need somebody to remind me. Now, I don't, I'm not putting that song out there as something you should be listening to, by the way. But there is a line in that song that I want to commend to you this morning. It's a line in that song that says, If you still love me, don't just assume I know. Would you hear the Lord saying that to you this morning? If you still love me, Corinth Baptist Church, don't just assume that I know. And put yourself in that blank this morning. If you still love the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved you from your sins, has redeemed you from the darkest depths of your sin and the death that comes with it, who has saved your soul for all of eternity, if you still love him, don't just assume that he knows. When was the last time from the depths of your soul that you were able to say the words, I love you, Jesus? 
from the very bottom of your heart to express a thankfulness to him that goes beyond, thank you for this day, Lord. That's how so many of us begin our prayers. God, thank you for this day, but we're not even really thankful for the day. We're just ready to get on to other stuff. And our heart grows cold. And our passion wanes because we've forgotten from where he brought us. We've forgotten the depths in which we existed and how he lifted us up. And we've fallen back into so many of the old patterns that we once had. And he's no longer our best thought. He's no longer the name that we revere above every name. We have fallen away and we've forgotten. And we need to be reminded The second step in repentance here is to return. To return, to take an intentional step in the opposite direction. When we talk about the word repentance, we are not saying that I'm walking in this direction and repentance means that I need to veer off in this way. Or I need to veer off in this way. When we hear the word repentance, it means a 180 degree turn. That means that I recognize that I am walking in the wrong direction and I need to do an about face and go in the other direction. Because just to veer off won't cure what ails me. I've got to make an intentional turn in the other direction. And so when you return to your first love, what you have to do and what he is prescribing here is you must take an intentional turn away from the things that led you astray in the first place. I fear for many of us in this room, and I'm speaking to myself before I speak to you, we need to take an intentional turn away from technology. There is nothing inherently evil in technology, even though we were sure that our computer had the devil in it this morning. It would not do what we wanted it to do. And it worked fine last night, even at 10 o'clock at night last night. There is nothing inherently evil in technology. But when it begins to consume you, see, so often technology consumes us and we were meant to be the consumers of it. But it begins to consume us because it consumes our time. My youth pastor in high school said the best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. That's where you'll know where your love really is. Where are you spending your time? And if you're three hours a day on the cell phone, average child spends four and a half hours in front of the television every day, that's average child. And the video games and the computers, and there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff inherently. Now there's some of the things that we pull up on those screens that's definitely wrong, but there's nothing wrong with the technology in and of itself. But when it begins to consume your life and begins to draw you away from the God who loves you and the Christ who died to save you, when those things begin, begin to consume you and become the consuming passion in your life, then we need to take a break. And so for some of us, we need to put down the cell phone. We need to unplug that TV, take the batteries out of the remote, put that remote in a drawer somewhere, and put a padlock on that drawer so we won't be tempted to go back to that place and we'll take an intentional week, an intentional two weeks, an intentional month away from those things. Not because those things are evil, but because they are drawing us away from our first love. And for you, those of you that are workaholics, and I have that tendency... It's to recognize that even in the midst of, this is a great temptation for pastors, for myself, this is a constant temptation. 
that I would do so much work for Jesus that I would forget about Jesus in the midst of it. Which sounds completely impossible. How could that even happen? But it does. It happens in my life all the time and I wake up some days and I recognize I didn't really spend any time with Christ yesterday. I worked around him. I opened his word, studied, did all things I needed to do, sermon preparation. But did I really love him? Was I enthralled with his presence? Was I so wrapped up in him that when the first thought in my mind when I woke up in the morning was, I love you, Jesus. When the, and the last thought before I drift off to sleep was, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Am I so wrapped up in him that he is my primary passion or have I left my first love? And the third step of repentance, after we remember and return, we have to redo The great thing about our God is that he gives us a redo in the first place. Isn't that grace? That God gives us a redo and many of us have had so many redos we couldn't count them even if we tried and yet his grace is new, his mercies are new every day. And if you need a redo today, you can start right now. You can start right now by asking God to give you that redo. But what does the redo look like? I want to paint a little picture for you. There was a a man in our church that called me, this has probably been six months ago, and he was asking for some advice about his marriage. He said, I just don't love my wife like I once did. I just, I just don't care for her like I once did. We've grown apart. We just don't see eye to eye on things anymore. And I, Basically what he was saying is, I just don't love her like I used to. And I said, I got a prescription for you. I'm just going to ask you to do one simple thing. I said, okay. I said, well, when was the last time that you took your wife out on a date? He kind of chuckled a little bit, like it was the most ridiculous question he'd ever been asked. I said, no, seriously, when was the last time you found a sitter for the kids and you asked your wife out on a real date? I'm not, talk- I'm not talking about taking her through the McDonald's drive through and going to Walmart. That's not a date. Though for uh, Beth and I, that ends up being the end of our date most of the time. But I'm talking about when was the last time that you had a sitter for the kids and you made intentional preparations like you used to do when you were dating. Maybe you need to get reservations at a restaurant. Maybe you need to take her to a movie that's not just all about blowing things up. Maybe you need to do something, whatever she likes to do. When you thought intentionally about what would she like and do that. When was the last time? And he couldn't give me an answer. So here's my prescription. Take your wife on a date. Find a sitter for the kids. Take her to a nice restaurant where you don't order off a wall. Take her to a movie. Go sit by the river. Whatever you want to do. Whatever whatever floats your boat and, and is what she would desire. Do that. I would love to tell you folks that he called me back the next week and said, man, it worked, it's great, we're back in love again, everything. Unfortunately, as far as I know to this day, the date never happened, and that couple has now gone through a divorce. Now, am I saying to you today that the date would have fixed everything? 
I don't think I'm quite that naive. I am pretty naive sometimes. But, I'm, but the date was a first step. Husbands, you need to understand that the things that you did to woo your wives are the same things that you need to continue to do. And I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody here. And wives, you need to understand that the things that you used to do when you first got married, those are the things that you need to do to keep that love alive because we forget and we slowly drift away from our first love, from the love that we had at first. And we need to return to that. But the way to return to that is to redo the things that spurred us on in that love in the first place. So how does that apply to our relationship with Christ? Do you remember a time when you prayed to God like he was actually listening? Do you remember a time that when you read this word, the words leaped off the page and you really saw how this is the living and active word of God and you were spurred on in your love for him because of what you read and you saw this like a love letter to you? Do you remember when you just couldn't wait to tell somebody about what Jesus was doing in your life? When was the last time you told somebody about Christ at all? That'll fuel your passion for him. That will fuel your desire to know him more when you're telling others about him. I think back to the day when I got to introduce the woman who was going to be my wife to the man who was my mentor in high school. His name is Leonard, and I was so excited to introduce Beth to him for the first time. It was like the most exciting thing for me because I recognized this is the love of my life, and I'm getting to introduce her to someone who is so important to me. When was the last time you took a step to introducing somebody to Jesus? Church, hear me. So often these things are put out as, as guilt trips for the church. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? How many hours did you read your Bible this week? How much time did you spend in prayer this week? How much money did you put in the offering plate? Folks, if it's not flowing out of a heart of love, I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate or how much of this Bible you memorize or how many hours you spend in prayer or how many folks you tell about Jesus because the word of God to us this morning is, I know your works. What I'm concerned about is your heart. And if the heart is not there, then you can do all the works in the world and you still need to repent. Because works that are not motivated by a heart love for Christ, by a passion for Him, are dead works. And as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, they amount to nothing. Finally this morning, there is a reward for those who would take this seriously, who would listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to his church through this letter. I do not believe that this letter was written just for an Ephesian church 2,000 years ago, but it speaks to us today because we have the same heart problem. We have the same forgetfulness. We have the same tendency to turn away from our first love, and we have the same need to redo the things that spur us on in a passion for him. And so what is the reward? He says, to the one who conquers, to the overcomer, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. 
so many times in this book of Revelation, you're going to see references all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because what God is ultimately doing in this world, his ultimate plan for this world is to redo everything that's been broken by sin and death in this world. To renew. In the end of this book, we're going to see Christ seated on his throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. And he'll do that in your life as well. And the reward for those who take this word seriously is that the path to the tree of life which was barred when sin and death entered into the world, when man chose sin over God and God set up a barrier between him and the tree of life, that has been broken. That barrier has been broken by the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he created a way for us to walk straight to the tree of life to taste eternal life in Him and to know the fullness of His resurrection power in us and to dwell, as it says here, one day in the paradise of God. But folks, let me just say something. For so many of us, when we hear about the paradise of God, when we hear about heaven, our perception is totally wrong. Heaven is not the ultimate golf course or the best fishing trip ever. Heaven is not all the great things that you loved in this world all rolled into one. You want to know what heaven's about? It's about Him. If you don't want Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, you really don't want heaven. You're going to see in this book, He's not only the source of heaven, but He's the center of it. Everything points to him. There's a throne in the middle of heaven and there's only one seated on that throne. And his name is Jesus. And he came into this world a baby in a manger and he lived a perfect life on this earth for 33 years and he died on the cross for your sins. He poured out his blood so that you could be saved. And when that message grows cold in your heart, remember. Remember what he brought you out of. Some of us need to be reminded of our sin. Again, not a guilt trip, folks. We need to be reminded of our sin so that we will see how great our Savior is. So where are you this morning? Let me just ask one diagnostic question that could help you to gauge, I think, what the Scripture is leading us toward this morning. Has there been a time in your life prior to this day when you loved Jesus more than you do now? I really want you to think on that. Unfortunately, I can give an affirmative to that question. Yeah. I'm just asking you the same thing I'm asking myself. Has there been a time in your life when you loved Jesus Christ more than you do now? And I would just tell you, if that's the case, then you've left your first love. But you're not without hope. This is the great news of the gospel. 
the redo is available, but you've got to remember the one who saved you from your sins, and you've got to return to him, turning away from the things that led you away in the first place, and turning fully to him, and you've got to redo the things that spurred that love on in the first place, telling others about him, diving into his word with passion, praying like there's a God who really listens and answers, and doing those things that will spur that love on into eternity. So where are you this morning? Do you love Christ more than you've ever loved him? Maybe you'd say this morning, you know what? If I were really honest, I would say this. I've never really fallen in love with Christ. You can attend the greatest church in the world. You can listen to sermons from Genesis to Revelation. You can pray through the prayer list and memorize more of this book than I've memorized, which is, wouldn't be saying a whole lot. You can do all the works. All the works. But we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's only his work that brings salvation. If you've never fallen in love with Jesus, I'd invite you to do that this morning. How do you fall in love with Jesus? First of all, look to the cross. See a God who loves you with an infinite love so deep and so powerful that he sacrificed his very best for you. Christ didn't go to the cross because he had nothing better to do one Friday, but it was the eternal plan of God, and the punishment was real, and the pain was intense, but he did it all for you to display the glory of God for you, to redeem a people for God, and your name can be among that number, but you've got to trust him. We live in an American culture where I'm afraid far too many of us are trusting in church attendance. Far too many of us are trusting in a prayer we prayed with a pastor 40 years ago or a baptistry in which we were dunked or the fact that we do this or we do that or we hold this or that position in the church. Who cares? Let me just say it. I'm the pastor of this church and I don't care. If I don't love Christ, I'm just a clanging symbol up here. That's what the scriptures say. So let's set aside all those things and fall in love with Jesus again. Could we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Let me ask you once more. Has there been a time in your life when you loved Jesus more than you do now? If you would answer yes to that question and be honest in your heart, if you would answer yes to that question, then recognize that that is a sincere problem that is calling you to repentance. To get back to your first love. And you may feel like that that seems completely impossible, but under the authority of the word of God, I say to you today, it is not impossible. If you will remember what he did for you, if you will look to the cross and see the great Savior who poured out 
His blood for you, who suffered and died in your place, it will begin to spark anew in your heart that love for Him. And if you would turn away this morning from the very things of this world that have pulled you slowly away from Him, if you will turn from those things and return to Him and redo once again those things that fueled your passion for Him in the first place. Maybe that means before we sing this next song together, you just need to say from the depths of your heart, I love you, Jesus. I know I haven't said it in a while, and I've been distant, and I've been wrapped up in so many other things, but I love you. If you don't know how to return, ask Him for the strength this morning. Ask Him to give you the wisdom and the strength to return to Him with a renewed passion. And if you've never fallen in love with Jesus, if you've never entrusted all that you are to Him, taking Him at His word when He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That word is for you this morning. And if you would desire to know love like you've never known it, as we sing this song together, I'd invite you just to step out from where you are to come down this aisle. There is nothing holy about taking this preacher by the hand. There is nothing, I'm not going to be able to give you any special revelations or secret words. There's no secret handshake here. It's simply this. Take Christ at his word. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you would believe in him, you would not perish in your sin. But he'd give you the gift of eternal life and life like you've never known. Every life apart from Christ is mere existence. So in the quietness of this moment, assess your heart and you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Let's stand and sing together. There must be more than this O oh, breath of God Come breathe within There must be more than this Spirit of God We wait for you Fill us anew We came Fill us anew Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, Spirit of God, fall in this place, Lord have your way, Lord have your way.
come like a rushing wind clothe us with power from on high now set the captives free leave us abandoned to your praise Lord let your glory fall Lord let your glory fall consuming fire fed into flame a passion for your to hear folks coming and just saying I just want to be renewed in my walk with Christ for those of us that now measure 
our walk with Christ in decades, so easy for our love to grow cold. Right in the midst of working for Him and serving Him as faithfully as we ever have, it's so easy for us to drift. I'm just going to ask Grant to continue to pray to play for us this morning. And if our, uh, if our ushers would come and bring those plates. But I, I want us just to continue in this spirit of worship this morning. Maybe during this time you need to get up from where you are and just go find a quiet place. Maybe here at the altar or anywhere in this room. You just may think, I need to get along with God for a few moments. Just to process some of what God is, is doing in my heart. I want to invite you to do that during this time. You can just get up from where you are. Just go find a quiet place. You can do that right where you're seated, but sometimes I know it just, you need to act upon whatever God's doing. And so, we are at this time, we're going to take up our offering. And again, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want you to know the only thing we would desire from you is that little white card that we talked about at the beginning of our service. If you want to fill out the back of that card right now, if you've got some, some comments or some things you'd like to, to give us some feedback on, we really appreciate that. But this, what we're about to do, this is an act of worship. When we give back to God, we're saying, God, you've entrusted me with so much. You've given so much to me, and now I want to give back to you just a, a little portion of what you've given to me. And you entrust that to God, knowing that he's going to take what you've given, and he's going to multiply that, because that's what God does. He takes our little gift, the, the gift of our, our lives, of our finances, of our time. He takes that, and he multiplies that and expands it and does things that we never thought were possible. That's what we do when we pass this offering plate. We remember that we have a God who multiplies small gifts and we worship Him. So we're going to do that right now and as soon as the offering plate hits the last row, I'd like us one more time just to stand and sing this song. Stir it up in our hearts, God. Renewing us a passion for Your name. We don't want to keep just going through the motions and doing the works without having that passion for you because it's dead works if it's not fueled by a passion for you so we're going to pass the plates I'll pray we'll pass the plates and then let's worship the Lord this morning and I just want to encourage you you stay as long as you feel led to stay these guys will close it out when it hits to be right at the, about the time but if you want to stay and worship for a while I'm going to ask these guys to hang around and if you just want to stay and, and worship the Lord in this place then you do that and everybody else will have the opportunity to to kind of move out if they need to. Let's pray, we'll offer, then we'll worship. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. And God, may we be renewed in this great love. Be reminded of your great name. May it be revealed to us once again that it's only in Christ alone that our hope is found. And Lord, may there be a place deep in us where we realize that all we really have is Christ. Everything we really have is in Him. All we really need is in Him. And as we give, Lord, may it be with the sense that all that we have belongs to You, Lord God, in the first place. And we only give back as an offering of worship. So take what we have, Lord, and multiply it 
for the work of your kingdom here in McQuady and to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.